welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us/sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. If you would, take your Bibles and open them to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. When I was around 12 or 13, I had hunted a little bit. I wasn't a huge hunter, but my family was, and our family, my grandfather, had a farm not far from our house. And so one time we went out to go hunting and and went back in the woods, and my father and I, as was typical with us, we hadn't shot anything, and uh, we were wandering around in the woods. He said, I got an idea. Let's split up. I said, okay, fine. Sounds like a good idea. So he went one way, and I went the other way. And uh, now you can take me to almost any city in the world, and within 10 minutes I can pretty much get the lay of the land, can tell you where to go to get to anything. You take me out in nature, put me in the woods, within five minutes I will be lost completely and utterly and totally and have no idea where I am. And it was about 20 minutes after my father left that I realized I had no idea where I was or where to go. And we're hunting, and I knew better than to just start shouting my dad's name because other hunters don't appreciate a guy wandering in the woods during hunting season just yelling at the top of his lungs. So I began to wander around trying to find my, my father, and not knowing where I was in my little 12-year-old mind began to think, worst-case scenario, I'm going to be stuck in the woods for the next six, seven years. I'm going to have to, you know, maybe finally shoot something and try to figure out how to eat it. I'm going to miss my teenage years, you know, the... It was just a disaster, and I was getting confused. You know, I'm like, I, I think I've already been to this spot, a little disoriented. I was worried. Things just weren't making, you know, it wasn't sense. I, 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 was, I was a little mad at my dad for leaving me alone. And I think of that experience, that, that what I felt at that moment, just being out there in the middle of nowhere, not sure what to do next, not sure where to go, not sure how, of anything, And I think that's kind of how we are with Habakkuk, where we are here halfway through chapter 1. Quick recap of last week in case you, you you weren't here for it. Habakkuk was a prophet that served during a time of both religious and political decline for the nation of of Israel, of the Jews. He had served under a great king named Josiah who had instituted religious reforms the likes they had never seen. I mean, he had done everything right, but Josiah had been killed in a battle, and the, his heir, Je- Jehoiakim, was terrible. He was not a good king. And so a lot of the reforms were falling apart. A lot of the good things that had happened were no longer happening. And as we saw at the end of verse 4, this is how Habakkuk summed it up. He said, the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth, the wicked, the wicked Surround the righteous, justice goes forth perverted. He said, the nation is falling apart. Everything seems to be in disarray. And so he's crying out to God, what are you going to do about it? Why are you just sitting up there, basically in his mind, twiddling your thumbs, not doing anything? And then at the end, we saw God's response. He said, listen, I'm going to do something that would blow you away. You aren't going to believe it, Habakkuk. I'm sending the Babylonians. I'm sending a group of people even more wicked than anything you've ever experienced in your life, and they're going to be my instrument to punish the people that are doing wrong. And it's going to get even worse. You think it's bad now? It's, it's going to get worse. 
And that's where we ended it last week. He did have one little, you know, he said, I will hold the Babylonians guilty, but by and large, it's just, it's a kind of a, whoa. And so Habakkuk, we, we pick him up, Habakkuk, just like last week, he's going to say something to God, God's going to respond. But I think Habakkuk, his faith, he's disillusioned, he's not sure what to make of this, it doesn't seem to make sense. We can all put ourselves in that situation. We're going through life, we're experiencing something, and we're like, God, this just doesn't compute. You're a good, righteous, holy, loving God, and what I'm going through doesn't seem good, righteous, holy, or, or any of those things. And so Habakkuk, is, is, he's, he's going through this. He's, gonna, he's got some questions. He's going to ask questions of God, then God's going to respond. And what God says in verse 4 of chapter 2 is really the crux of it. Behold, his soul is puffed up, but it's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the foundational verse of this short little book, Habakkuk, but it's also a verse quoted, as I mentioned, three times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. It becomes kind of a foundational verse of the New Testament. And as I shared last week, during the, the Protestant Reformation, it's one of the key verses that Martin Luther used to spark the Protestant Reformation. This is a powerful statement. But it takes a little bit this morning to get to it. And before we just get right to that, I think it's important that we go through everything Habakkuk says and everything God says to him to lead up to it, because as I said, it's, it's a challenge and it's a challenge I think everyone in this room has experienced. My faith is shaken. But I know I'm supposed to live by faith. So I'm going to do what I did last week. I'm going to read Habakkuk's section first. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to read God's section and talk about that. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. Just to follow along beginning in verse 12 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk's second complaint as it's headlined in my Bible. It says this. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Let's pray at this point. Lord, I thank you for this section of Scripture, Lord, that is a challenge. It is a, something that we have to wrestle with, Lord, in life. And Lord, the command that you give us to live by faith. So Lord, this morning as we unpack this Scripture and we look at it and we examine our hearts and how it relates to us today, Lord, I pray that we come away challenged and we have a richer relationship with you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So we start with Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, we see his faith is challenged. Everything about what God had said last week just challenges everything that Habakkuk has, has believed in God up to this point. And his first thing he does, we really see there's a series of questions, really three questions in this section, and they kind of punctuate what, what he's getting at here. The first one is, is this, Habakkuk contemplates the character of God. 
He contemplates the character of God. We see this in these first two verses. He starts out with some solid truths he knows about God. You're from everlasting. You're holy. And he says, we shall not die. It's, it's the sense of God. You've made certain promises to your people. Even though you know, the Babylonians are going to destroy the temple, the wall, they're going to cart people off. You've promised us a future. You, you're a righteous judge. This is the group of people that you have established that, that are going to judge us, and, and I accept that. But you have pure eyes, and, and you can't look at wrong, so why are you allowing this wicked group of people to swallow us up? It is, it's this, this God, I, I know you're good, I know you're righteous, you're everlasting, you're holy, but I don't, it doesn't compute with what you're allowing to happen. Charles Simeon, who was a, a great preacher of, of, of the past, as he was preaching through this, and he just got to this, and he talked about contemplating the character of God, he said, this is something we just don't do enough in our day and age. We don't stop and recognize that God is a very complex being. Sometimes we reduce him to just a simple couple, you know, God is love, God is good, this, these types of things, and we move on, and we, we, we don't spend time on our knees praying and, and dealing with the issues of exactly what Habakkuk is dealing with. We don't contemplate complexity enough. Our country and, and our, our culture has been, you know, all over the map this past year. Lots of different things have happened. One of the things is the tearing down of statues. Right? That's happened quite a bit. And the statues that have been torn down, originally they were put up because people put them up, thought they did some good things. And then there's other people tearing them down because they think these people did some bad things. And they're both, to a certain extent, right. I think of one particular person. How many of you have ever heard of George Whitfield? Raise your hand. Raise him up high. Okay, about 50% of you have heard of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a great evangelist lived in the 1700s. He was very instrumental in the first great awakening. He could preach to thousands of people, and this was before microphones. I was over there preaching to 12 people or 13 people in the first service, and I had a microphone, okay? I don't know how the guy did what he did. He started orphanages. He, he preached to the downtrodden. He, he gathered money, and he distributed to all sorts of people who were struggling. He was a great, great leader in that way. He was also a guy that was instrumental in establishing slavery in the United States. He inherited slaves. He promoted it. He got it into certain colonies before they were there in places like Georgia and South Carolina. And so the question is, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Is he somebody we should emulate or is he somebody that we shouldn't? It's a complex question. Everybody's that way. There is no human being on the planet Earth that is exclusively good. If we reserved everything for just good people, we'd have statues of Jesus everywhere. And no one else. There's complexity in life. And we argue, we fight, but there's complexity and there's something that we have to understand about God as well. If you ever read through the Psalms, you read David, the man who was called to be king and he was hunted down like a, a dog. And then he made it to be king and then he, through his own mistakes, destroyed his family. And he pours out his heart in the book of Psalms over and over and over. And he pours out his heart to God. God, why do you let me go through these things? God, why do you look on me? I'm a worm. He goes through all of this. And folks, that's us too. Sometimes people come to me as the pastor and they have some questions. I want some, you know, can you just give me this answer? And sometimes I'm like, no, I don't. You need to go. Get in a room. Shut the door. Get on your knees. Get a Bible out. And you've got to wrestle with God. There are things happening in your life, things that you are struggling with, where you're like, God, I, I have questions. I, have, I don't know how to make sense of this. Well, he's, he's there. Ask him about it. 
The answer might not be the, exactly what you want to hear, but there's an answer. And this is part of a relationship with him. It's wrestling with him. It's dealing with these issues. When your faith is challenged, you need to reach out to him. Habakkuk contemplates the character of God. The second thing he then does is he presents his fears before God. Beginning in verse 14 down to verse 17, he uses a metaphor about fishing. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors about fishing, which is good because there's a lot of fishermen here. And so he talks about fishing, and he, he really compares Babylon is like the fishermen. And Israel, and not just Israel, or not just the Jews, but all of the nations around are kind of like the fish. Verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. So all of these nations that are getting swallowed up by the Babylonians, they really don't, they can't get together enough to fight back. And so they just continually get destroyed. They get like fish, they get caught. Verse 15, he brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. And so he talks about how Babylon is just going around conquering and, and, and getting all sorts of loot and people and slaves and, and possessions and, and valuables and all of these things. Verse 16, he sacrifices to his net, makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. And so he's talking about how the Babylonians and all of these groups, they had a war machine. The way they would go is they would show up, destroy things, and build a big siege ramp and just overwhelm cities. And then when they would go in and conquer and take everything that they'd want, they'd have big parties and celebrations of all of the possessions that they had accumulated, all of the people that they had vanquished, and they would sacrifice and they would do all of these things. And then we get to the crux of the problem for Habakkuk. It's in verse 17. This is his question for God. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? What Habakkuk sees here is he's like, I don't see an end to this, God. I don't see how there's any hope. The Babylonians are wiping everybody out. You just told me you're, you're raising them up, so they got you going for them. What hope do we have? Are they just going to keep destroying things forever and ever? And you sense in Habakkuk, as his faith is challenged, as he knows some truths about God, and he recognizes God is everlasting, he's holy, he's righteous and just, and he's doing some things I don't understand, and right now I don't see a way out. I'll bet everyone in this room, at one point in your life, can identify with Habakkuk. You're going through something, maybe not on a macro level, like in the world, but in your own personal lives, whether it's a job issue, something with your children, something with your spouse, something where you go, I don't, God, I don't see how we're, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know how we're going to get, how am I going to get out of this? I'm hopeless. There's a sense of despair creeping into Habakkuk. I, I don't get it. I don't see how we're going to escape the Babylonians. Even now, you know, we're going through COVID-19. There are people that look at how we go. We're hoping there's a vaccine that works. And what we look at Habakkuk, and sometimes the thing that we forget is Habakkuk, we see it, you know, 200 or 2,500 years later. The Babylonians, about 60, 70 years after this, they're wiped out. Another group comes in. The Jews get to go back to their homeland and all of that. And, and we're like, I mean, the Babylonians were like a little brief little speck in the big scope of history. And, for, and, and the Jews, they were held captive by, I mean, the Philistines came, the Midianites came, the Assyrians came, the Egyptians came. They dealt with this before. How is Habakkuk losing everything? This is not, 
But man, aren't there times in our lives we, we forget the big picture of God and we get so zeroed in on our personal little problems. We think nobody's ever experienced what we've gone through before. Nobody's ever faced what we're going through. This is just insurmountable and we have no hope. Man, that's a tool of Satan. I think probably right now this is one of the biggest issues we face in our society is there's a lot of hopelessness. A lot of people who, whether it's their business or their jobs or their health or the country, whatever, they're just struggling. And one of the, the, the things I'll tell you, it's not unique. People, I've, as a pastor, one of the things I've dealt with are people that come to me and they're just, they don't know where to turn. One of the best things is you're here or you're listening online, you're gathering with believers, you're studying the scriptures. And, and, and I was so excited this week when I saw the life groups getting back together and people sharing their, their struggles and their issues. Folks, this is why God brings us together because this happens to a lot of people. Their faith gets challenged, they're shook, they're scared, they're fearful, and God says, come together. So Habakkuk presents his fears before God, and then it says he waits for an answer. The first verse of chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's made his questions. God, I know you're holy, you're righteous, you're just. I know you can't look on evil. You're not making a lot of sense. I'm a little scared about I don't understand what's happening or where it's going to go, but I'm going to wait for an answer. He is living by faith. He trusts God. I think it's interesting the, the vivid imagery he uses here about his response. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself in the tower. In that day and age, that was a very important job. They didn't have radar and all that stuff to check when the enemies were coming. There was a guy who stood on the tallest part of the place, the, the wall, and his job was to, to scan for bad guys. And if he failed, they were all, everybody was wiped out. And so he knew he had to, as a watchman, you had to pay attention, you had to be watching. And that's how Habakkuk sees himself. He's the conduit that God has chosen to, to speak through here. And so he's like, God, I'm, I'm watching, I'm waiting. I know the people, they need to hear from you, and I need to be paying attention. And the truth is, when your faith is challenged, when you are struggling, it's not just about you. There are other people watching you. They're watching the way you live your life. They're watching the way you respond to the difficulties and the struggles. They hear you talk about this God that you worship when things are good, but they're definitely watching you when things aren't so good. And they're asking themselves, does it measure up? That's no oddity that he uses such vivid language of Habakkuk saying, I am watching, I am waiting, I know my position to be somebody who warns people, to tell people about who God is. So he's asked his questions. God, you're holy, you're righteous, you're just. I'm scared, but I'm waiting for an answer. We don't know how long it takes, but God does speak to him. Verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So God responds to him. 
And we've already talked about it. The crux of it is the just shall live by faith. God doesn't, and this is very common, doesn't directly answer the questions of Habakkuk. If you ever notice in the New Testament, we just went through John for a year and a half. So many times it asked Jesus a question, and he didn't answer him directly. He answered him, but not necessarily in the way they were expecting. Habakkuk gets somewhat of the same treatment here. He just says, you have lots of questions. If you're righteous, you live by faith. But before he gets to that, the first couple of verses, there's a couple of things that, that God prepares Habakkuk for before the answer. The first is, as God commands faith, it's, it's God commands Habakkuk to declare the truth. Declare the truth, he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. There was a common practice, archaeologists have found this now in, in other cities, not so much Jerusalem yet, but they found where they... People would take tablets and they would write their message on the tablet and they would put it before you would enter a temple or the marketplace or the palace. It'd be similar to, we have billboards, okay? You're driving down, hey, it's a billboard, you know, go dial one or whatever it is. You know, there's signs and they would have short little messages as you would go by. And God is saying to Habakkuk, you, you, you declare this truth, have this message. So as people run, they can see it as they're going about. So it's a short, the just shall live by faith. Have this message. There is a sense of Habakkuk. You've got to declare the truth to people. And the message is to us is God commands faith. As he tells us to have faith, he also says to all of us as believers, declare the truth. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell them about his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Tell them the foundation of faith. You have a command to declare the truth. To go into this world and, and, and teach people why it is what we believe, why we believe what we believe. They can't live by faith unless they know what they're supposed to have faith in. And so he tells them to declare the truth. And then the second thing, he commands Habakkuk to wait for the results. Ah, God and patience. You've all heard the old thing, don't ever ask God for patience because he'll, he'll make you get it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I mean, there's a lot in that one verse to say. It's coming, just it may take a while. In other words, God says, listen, I have made a promise. I've made a statement. This is what I'm doing, and it will take place. Now, to give you a brief little bit of history, most likely this was taking place between 605 and 600 B.C., Remember, when you do B.C., time counts down. That's when he's talking to Habakkuk. Babylon, during that period of time, is when they first start their siege and attacking of various places in Jerusalem and Israel and all of that. It's not until 586 that Nebuchadnezzar completely wipes them out, destroys the wall, takes people off as captives, destroys the temple. Everything comes to pass. Roughly 20 years, give or take. 20 years is a long time, isn't it? What were you doing 20 years ago? You were going, we, we survived Y2K. <laughs> Seems quaint now, doesn't it? Like, that was it. September 11th hadn't even happened yet. We were getting ready for a crazy election with George Bush and Al Gore. We didn't know who won. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it, wasn't, it wouldn't be for another... 70 years, really, from this point, before Babylon would be destroyed by, there was a guy named Cyrus, the Persians, they came in, took out Babylon, that's with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So everything that God is planning on doing, where he said, you know, they will be held guilty back in verse 11 to the Babylonians, that 
punishment and judgment is a long way off in the future. There's a good chance Habakkuk doesn't even live long enough to see that. But God is telling me, you live by faith in the period of time that you're here, Habakkuk. You follow what I've commanded you to do. You may not live to the end of it, but live by faith. How many Cubs fans do we have in here? Will you admit it? Come on, you know, they, they've been, hey, we got a couple hands. Two, three, all right. The Cubs were famous for being the team that went the longest between winning World Series, right? I can't say much. I'm a Pirates fan, so, you know, they haven't won more than 20 games in forever. But the Cubs went a long time between, and, and when they finally won one just a few years ago, there were some stories about some lifelong Cubs fans. One guy I read about, his name was Gary Repetto. I think that's how you say his name, R-E-P-E-T-T-O, I think. He passed away right before or after Game 5 of the World Series where the Chicago Cubs won. And the story was basically his sons were having this big, you know, gathering of all this guy's friends and everything to, you know, because he was a huge, lifelong Cubs fan. He was 72 years old when he passed away. So he was born long after the Cubs won back in 19-whatever-it-was, 08, I think. And, but it just the story went on to say this guy loved the Cubs. He always felt the Cubs would win. His kids worked at Wrigley Field. They would go to games. He had the hat. I mean, he loved the Cubs. But during his life, did the Cubs ever win the World Series? No. The man died two games before they did. But he had such hope in his team to win it. Sometimes I wish we had as much faith in God as a lot of people have in their sports teams. That you could live your entire life screaming for a team that lets you down over and over and over and over but always faith next year. But with God, the moment he doesn't do something we think he should do, we're like, what he's saying to Habakkuk, listen, Habakkuk, I have a big plan. Babylon serves a purpose in this. Eventually the Persians and then the Romans and Jesus Christ is crucified by the Romans. And at that point, the Pax Romana is the way that the gospel can be spread throughout the world. God has a plan. And Habakkuk has his little part in it. You have your little part in it. I have my little part in it. I may not see, I, I was born in the 70s, lived to whenever I'll live, and I, my job is to live faithfully to do what God told me to do while I'm here. Maybe I'm a great time of revival, like a, a, a great awakening or something like that, or maybe it's a time where it's just not good. But wait for it. Then we get to the final point. God contrasts the righteous and the unrighteous. We get to the crux of the whole argument. Habakkuk has poured out his heart. God, you're holy, you're righteous, you're just, you're eternal. I don't really know what you're doing and I'm afraid. God responds, declare the truth, wait for my response. But here's the thing, Habakkuk, you don't necessarily get all the answers, but you live by faith. And he contrasts it with the opposite, with the unrighteous. The beginning of the verse, it says, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. There's a a sense of the soul of the person. They're arrogant. They're consumed with this world. That's what the Babylonians were. They'd go and conquer and destroy and just celebrate. Look at what we got. Look at verse 5. If it's nothing, it's a great description of it. It says, moreover, wine is a traitor. What's interesting in the, the Masoretic text, it's wine. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1950s, it's wealth. But it doesn't really matter which word. 
wealth or wine. It's saying, listen, whatever, the, 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 the Babylonians were notorious drunkards. That's probably why it's wine. But wealth, they accumulate things. That was where they thought they would have their, their salvation, but it was a traitor. It was treacherous. An arrogant man is never at rest, always striving for more. His greed is as wide as shield. There's greed. They're trying to collect more. It's death, like death, it's never enough. He gathers for himself nations, collects his own, all these people. It's, it's Babylon is a picture of, of worldly consumption. You're just in this world. All you really care about is getting more and more and more for yourself. What does this world have to offer? And I want more and more of it. And I'm never satisfied. And he contrasts that with the just living by faith. I was a big fan, still am, of the Superman movies back of Christopher Reeve in the late 70s and early 80s. That's kind of when I was a kid. That was before CGI, so if they wanted him to fly, they put him on strings and shung him across the room. And And the second Superman, Superman 2, Zod showed up. Okay, if you don't, that's a great name. Zod was a bad guy from Krypton. And when he showed up, he had his henchman and henchwoman. They both had the same powers as Superman. I'm assuming you're all familiar that Superman had superpowers, okay? Hence the name. And when they got here, Superman was off with Lois Lane, kind of oblivious to the world, and Zod decided he wanted to take over Earth. And there's a big scene where the, the military shows up, and of course, they shoot their guns, it doesn't work. They shoot their missiles, it doesn't work, and he wins. There's a scene, he's in the White House, and there the president kneels down. He's the king of the world, or the emperor of the world, whatever. And I was a kid, you know, I was six, seven years old when that movie came out, and I didn't mean as much then, but I've watched it since then. And there's another scene that follows that that's just kind of philosophical. Zod is sitting in the White House, king of the world. And on the desk is that little game where you take the ball, and you drop the ball, and it hits the other three balls in the middle, and the other one, you know, And he's like, just sitting there with his head like this, just staring at it like. And they're asking, he's like, I'm the, they're asking him a question. Somebody walks in, he's like, well, I'm the emperor of the world as I was the day before and the day before that and will be the next day. And he's achieved what so many people in this world have tried. What Nebuchadnezzar tried to do, what Alexander the Great tried to do, what Mao tried to do, what the Soviets tried, what so many people tried to do to to take over the world, to just accumulate more and more and more. He gets it. It's a fictitious movie, but it just kind of shows what is what what's what are you trying for? What do you hope for? That's what God describes here. He's puffed up, he's arrogant, he's trying to collect things. This is the this is the only other option to just try and fill your life with junk, or you live by faith. Or you trust that I have something better for you. Habakkuk, you may not have every answer, you may not know every single step, but you got to trust me that I know what I'm doing and you follow me. This becomes a foundational verse for the New Testament. Jesus Christ, an unknown carpenter, dies on a cross, rises from the dead, tells his disciples, you go tell everybody about me. You tell them to repent. You tell them to follow me, believe in me, teach them the things I I taught you. That's your job. Live by faith. Trust what I've told you. 2,000 years later, that's what we're still doing. We're telling people this Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Believe what he says. Follow him. It might not always seem to be, you know, we might not always be on the ascension. It may seem like we're, we're losing in some capacity. It doesn't matter. Live by faith. I told you about getting lost on the farm and wandering around and not knowing where I was going to go. And as I was wandering around, I remember one little thing that had always just kind of been drilled in our heads when we would go to the farm. 
was Emerson's fence line. Emerson's fence line was a, a, a fence. There you go. It was two pieces of barbed wire that separated my grandfather's property from the neighbor who, guess what his name was? Emerson. There you go. You're paying attention. And there was a little stream you could follow, whatever. If you got to that fence line, all you knew is turn left, and you would eventually reach the farmhouse. So as I was lost in the woods, I'm like, well, I know that. So I'd wander along, and guess what? I found the fence line, and I turned left. I had faith in what my father had told me to do, and it got me where I needed to go. When I was disillusioned, didn't know what to do, I remember, do what your father had told you to do. A lot of you are disillusioned in the world right now. You're confused. It seems like some ways that what you believe is on the, it's getting destroyed or knocked down or whatever. You say, well, maybe we should try this, do this. What it says is follow Jesus Christ, do what he told you to do. Even if it doesn't necessarily make sense right now, obey and live by faith because he's got a plan. I'm going to ask the musicians to go ahead and come on up. We're going to sing a final song. And after that, then I'm going to come up and pray here in a few moments. But as we think about living by faith, and you think about your life, like I said, we've all had those moments in our lives where our faith is challenged. We're like Habakkuk. We're struggling a little bit. We're a little concerned about things we're going through, things that we face. You're like me in the woods. Right now, you might be wandering around going, I don't really know what to do next. My encouragement to you this morning, first of all, is we had the Lord's Supper If you haven't repented of your sins, you haven't given your life to Christ to do that. For some of you, you need to go get in a quiet room and wrestle with God for some of the things you're struggling with, like Habakkuk did. Some of us just need to to obey. Would you bow your heads this morning, we pray, before we sing the final song. Lord, I thank you for this truth that you taught Habakkuk. And you teach us. Lord, we're not that much different than he is. Lord, we see our problems through the same lens that Habakkuk and everyone does, Lord. We see our problems and our issues, but Lord, I thank you and I thank you so much that you, you know that, Lord. You see us where we are. You meet us where we are. You meet us in our problems and our struggles. But Lord, you command us to have faith, to live by faith. So this morning, I pray for each person in this room that they would do that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.